Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The feeling when you do finally go to sleep and you're getting bumped back and forth, back and forth, and then you go into a sleep and and then beep 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 beep, beep and it is so confusing. And we've all had it. You know when you think the alarm is part of your dreams or part of your sleep, and you hear it, but you don't understand that it's time to wake up because you literally I've incorporated into my own sleep. And then you're like, wait, I don't understand. Where am I? Where am I? Am I wait, am I am I in my bed? Oh, I must be in my bed. No, no, no. Wait, I'm rowing. No, no, it's a bad dream. It's a bad dream. I'm not actually rowing. Oh my god, I am rowing. Uh, and and that process of getting up and going from dreamland to real land, that was oh utter utter, utter brutality. After every shift during the row across the Atlantic, Omar Noor and Omar Samra would take a two-hour break, if this can actually be called a break. They would get into a tiny cabin and, among other things, try to catch whatever sleep they could. The realization that, no, you're not in your bed, no, you're not going to have a warm breakfast, no, you're not comfortable, no, not only this... You're in the middle of the ocean, you're alone, and you have no way out, and you have 18 minutes to to please pull yourself together so that you can go out there and row. Today on State of Mind, we peer into everything that happened when Omar and Omar weren't rowing, and we explore the science of sleep. We try to understand what sleep actually is, how it happens and why, and what the lack of it does to our mind and body. This is the story of the only other vital activity they needed to make it across the ocean. I'm Lubna Munib, and from Kerning Cultures Network, this is State of Mind, a deeper dive into the chilling true story of survival documented in the film Beyond the Raging Sea. Episode 4, Quick Nap in a Wet Sock. Today's story begins 
where the two-hour rowing shift ends. So usually what happens when the shift is ending, so let's say I'm on the oars, when it comes to 10 minutes before the shift ends, I basically reach back, knock back on the on the door and I go, 10 minutes, and I have to get an acknowledgement. The preparation usually just takes about eight minutes. And then the last minute or two is literally like, you feel like the movie Gladiator when they're just standing right in front of the thing and the, the, the door is about to open and they know that there's hell is waiting for them outside. This is how it felt like every single time getting out of the cabin to row, the first least few seconds. So let's backtrack. If this is what happens in the last few minutes, what exactly happens throughout the two hours of the oars? You're excited. It's almost like you're so excited to get off the oars because you're like, oh my God, like I just need a break. But then the next bit is miserable because you jump into a tiny cabin. The cabin was basically just the living quarters. There's no like bed and there's no different area. The cabin is less than two meters wide. So it would barely fit the two of them lying side by side. From your head to the end of your torso, like almost to your waist, that would be above the boat. And your feet would be actually under the rower in front of you. Because, you know, the cabin... Because the cabin sinks in under the hull of the boat. We had a sheet or two, so one to lie on top of and then another one to cover with. They used curled-up T-shirts as makeshift pillows and they were all wet all the time. Kind of like scrunched up like clothes or something to, to create that. And um, on the sides of the, of the cabin, you had lots of pockets. And in these pockets, you had all the things that you wanted to easily access. And in the back of the cabin, behind your head, there were places that you would open these vents and there would be things that you store inside. The cabin is the space where everything other than rowing took place. It's where they kept and prepared their food, desalinated the seawater for drinking, took care of their hygiene and went to sleep. All in far less than perfect conditions. The ocean doesn't stop. You know, the waves don't stop the second you get off the oars. It continues to slap you around. So now you're getting slapped left, right and center. The cabin itself is very uncomfortable. It is hot. It's steamy. The smell is the single worst smell that you've ever had in your life. Like it is wet. And there's a bunch of chores that have to happen. Some chores you might have had to do outside prior to coming in. Some chores you're doing inside that are for the team. And then other chores are you're then, okay, cool. Let me get ready for bed. Let me get ready for bed. And let's say that it's a nighttime and it's time to go in and, and, and go to sleep or whatnot, right? Well, you're using a, a sheet and that sheet is wet, completely soaked. And I'm using a t-shirt. That t-shirt is wet. And you, you crumple up the t-shirt so you can put it and, and use it as a pillow. And then you use that, that wet sheet to cover yourself. And it feels like you're sleeping in a wet sock. It goes without saying that you don't sleep for two hours, right? I mean... There are lots of chores that you have to do. So the sleep is sort of 40 minutes at best. So you're talking about 40 minutes of sleep every four hours, repeated maybe six times a day. So that's like three hours of intermittent sleep that you're getting every day, if I've done my math correct. Two hours on the oars and two hours off. And you fit whatever sleep you can within those two hours. 
Who came up with the system, you ask? I ask that too. The two-hour, two-hour on and off the oars, that is not something that was based on sleep, right? That was based on the amount of time that you can be on the oars while keeping a good pace, a strong, solid pace without overexerting yourself for three, four, five, six hours or doing something way too short where then all of a sudden your speed is not going to be much faster, but your rest is compromised. This is how everyone does it in those races. It's like a cult code, according to Omar Noor, part of the ocean rowing culture. However, Team O2 still questioned this method and considered other ways prior to the race. I made no secrets about it. I wanted to break the world record. And so I was like, cool. If we're going to do what everybody else does, including the sleep, that means that we will not have an outcome that is different than anybody else. How about we do three hours on the oars, two hours off? So three, two instead of two, two, where my last half hour on the oars is that other person's first half hour. So we are overlapping at the beginning and the end of each shift. What does that mean? There are two rowing positions. That means we're going way faster. We have an hour every single session on the oars where we're two up. Nobody else does that. Then we recover for two hours, which is the same as everybody else. And they were going to test the system later on in the adventure. But as you know by now, the ocean had something else planned for them. Some scientific research has been put into the idea of polyphasic sleep, which is sleep over several phases, and is thought to be one of the remedies to prolonged sleep deprivation. In 1943, American inventor and philosopher Buckminster Fuller reported that for two years, he survived on two hours of sleep per day divided into 30-minute increments. Fuller managed to change the way we've been doing something that takes up, on average, one-third of our lives. Sleep is a complex thing, and to be honest, we still don't know that much about sleep. This is Dr. Neil Stanley, PhD in sleep research and author of the book How to Sleep Well, The Science of Sleeping Smarter, Living Better and Being Productive. It is a bit of a mystery because the problem is every time that you measure sleep, you in some way modify sleep or indeed wake the person up. And so we know sleep's a universal phenomenon. Basically, any organism that has a brain has a period of rest or sleep. But we're not absolutely certain why we sleep. We know a lot. We know that sleep's important for things like memory and learning. And it's the only time we physically grow. It's also about repair and recuperation. Our body's immune system is optimized during the night. Studies show that if you sustain good sleep, it improves your athletic performance. And Dr. Stanley told me that if you're sleep-deprived, you're 75% more likely to get a sports injury, and it will take you longer to heal. Why we still need seven 
to eight hours sleep or seven to nine hours sleep each night is unknown because at least 50% of the night is spent in a stage of sleep that we really don't know the function of. And so one would expect that at some point in millions of years of evolution, we'd have found a way of of doing it differently. But unfortunately, uh, we haven't. This is the way we sleep and this is the way we'll always sleep. The stage that we don't know the function of is stage number two. And it's when you're moving away from the light sleep of stage one, but you're still on your way to deep sleep. Dr. Stanley and I got into the details of all the phases of sleep. When we're asleep, we're in two different states of being. One is called non-rapid eye moon sleep and the other is rapid eye moon sleep. Now, these two states are as different from each other as they are from being awake. But you don't notice these differences because, of course, you're asleep most of the time. But non-REM sleep is further divided into another three stages of sleep, each of increasing depth. So stage one is the transition from awake to asleep. So when you're awake and you fall asleep, you'll go through stage one sleep whenever you fall asleep. The next stage is called stage two, and this makes up 50% of the normal night. But interestingly, it's the stage we know least about. And then we have stage three sleep, also known as deep or slow wave sleep. And stage three sleep is the most important part of sleep because it's the bit that's involved in memory and learning and growth and muscle repair and immune function. And and, and this stage three sleep makes up around 25% of the night. And then finally, we have the next state of being, which is our rapid eye movement sleep. And rapid eye movement sleep is when we have our story-like dreams. So it's a long, complex process. Realistically speaking, how much of it could you really squeeze into a 40-minute sleep session like Omar and Omar did? It's utter brutality. There is nothing enjoyable about it on the way into sleep or on the way out of sleep. I'll say the only time that is enjoyable is when you're unconscious because you then you're not thinking about, you're not stressing about the future or worrying about the past or thinking about the pain or whatever. You're just unconscious, right? If you cut down the length of time that somebody sleeps, as as the rowers were doing with a two-hour sleep period, this is going to mean that their sleep is almost certainly going to be full of that deep restorative sleep with little rapid eye movement sleep. Uh, And this, again, uh, means that their mood, their psychological well-being is being affected by their sleep pattern. Because the Omars were so sleep-deprived, they almost always went straight into deep sleep. And because they slept for very short periods of time, they were most likely woken up in the middle of deep sleep. This, Dr. Stanley says, would only make you feel even more wagged out. The time would pass like almost like it was too cruel, like it would pass so quickly, like you would, you were already... Conditioned in such a way when you were like going to bed to sleep 40 minutes, you're like, ah, I'll get 40 minutes rest. You know, that's a really long time, you know, and you'd be really looking forward to it. But you just close your eyes, you wake up and like your alarm is ringing and now you have to do like literally it would seem like you just slept for a second. It definitely did not feel like I went through all the different stages of sleep, right? If you're going to ask me 
today, like, you know, and, and I think I think even if you don't have to be an expert, like it's just from self-observation, we all know when when on those days where you should feel great, but you you probably didn't wake up in the right part of a cycle and you feel exhausted. But I did. But I was in bed. I was sleeping for eight hours. Like, how come? Right. Like, OK, well, you woke up in the middle of a cycle. Well, every single time I woke up, it felt like I was in the middle of a cycle. There is no instance at all where I woke up naturally, refreshed, uh, none of that. So I do not think that I went through the entire cycles. I don't think I don't think that there's enough time to go that. I think I think most probably I just went straight hard in and and then straight hard out and that yanking in and out is what was so painful. Sleep deprivation does hurt but it can be harmful on so many other levels. It's linked to immune deficiencies, memory impairment, and cancer. In 2012, the International Agency for Research on Cancer declared night shift work as a probable carcinogen. Here's Dr. Stanley again. Well, sleep deprivation has both short-term and long-term consequences. In the short-term it will affect your mood, your performance, your, your mental performance, your ability to make decisions, to react to situations. It will affect your health. If you have just one poor night's sleep, you're four times more likely to catch the common cold the next day. Uh, it will affect your appetite. You'll want to eat more sugary and fatty foods to, to gain calories. Um, so uh, the short-term effects uh, are, you know, are notable after just poor night's sleep. But in the longer term, poor sleep has been linked with numerous serious medical conditions like heart disease, stroke, depression, anxiety, obesity, diabetes. So there's no good thing about poor sleep, which is why it's important to try and get the sleep we need each and every night. Sleep is also associated with learning abilities. It's like hitting the save button after you've learned something new. But it's crucially important before learning as well. It prepares your brain to receive the knowledge. All of these clever things, these higher executive functions, are done in a part of the brain known as the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is pretty unique to humans, or it's, as, it's most highly developed in humans. And this is the bit that does the clever things, things like decision-making, problem-solving, planning, executing plans, uh, pattern recognition. All of these things are done in the prefrontal cortex. But the prefrontal cortex is the most sensitive to sleep deprivation. If your target is to row across the Atlantic, then then th that two-hour system that they were using is probably uh, as good as you can get, but it's still very far away from being ideal. But I say it's enough to get through the situation, and it is literally getting through. You're not going to thrive or find the, the, the uh, circumstances enjoyable but you will hopefully finish the race at the end. Sleep is not just to be able to physically roll because there's other aspects to it that are, that you have to use your brain. You have to know where you, you navigation. You have to understand weather patterns. You have to look at the the GPS system. You got to make sure that the autopilot is working. So there is a mental aspect to it that you also you cannot just shut it off completely. 
I do remember the number 270, 270 degrees. 270 degrees was the number that was the direction that we needed to stay on to get to Antigua. And so there's a lot of things that you still have to stay switched on. You couldn't just shut it off completely. The 40 minutes sleep would have to be the last thing you do because you just want to get everything done. I think if you do the, f- the sleep first, there's no chance you're going to do any of the other chores because you're going to wake up so groggy and your mind is going to feel like scrambled eggs. You're not going to be able to do anything. And if you do something, you'll probably make a lot of mistakes. And so it's just easier to go into rowing if you've just woken up because it's like a very rudimentary, like caveman kind of thing. We just, you know, we just go and row, you know. Waking up so groggy with your mind feeling like scrambled eggs? I had to ask for more detail. How did it feel? Let me tell you, it is the single worst feeling in the world. It is like a ton of bricks are falling on you. You know when people are like, I feel like I've been hit by a Mack truck? Take any any of these sayings that are quote-unquote cliche, and I can tell you that whoever created them was definitely in that same mind space because they're not cliche. They're not that far off. It feels horrendous. Yeah, I mean, so it was always a process, or mostly it was a process of, you know, waking up, feeling very lethargic, feeling very slow and hard to get out of the cabin bed, let's say, and then slowly your body would force yourself to get ready to do this, and then once you're in the oar and also you're outside, so there's like the fresh air and there's like the, you have to get going with whatever it is that you're doing, then you sometimes during the the session you realize, oh, I'm feeling a little bit sleepy, so let me pop in a few snacks in my mouth. And you sometimes, some sessions you have to fight it more than others. Sometimes it's not an issue, sometimes it's a big issue, especially the night shifts. Because I think if you're talking about circadian rhythms, uh, I'm sure it's affected by light quite a bit. The circadian rhythm or circadian cycle is the 24-hour sleep-wake cycle our bodies are adapted to in response to the alterations of light and darkness. We are, as humans, designed to respond to the light-dark cycle, to the day-night cycle. And light tells us to be awake, and the absence of light, nighttime, tells us to go to sleep. Humans are pretty useless at night. Our vision is very poor. We can't do work and we can't hunt. So there's no reason to be awake at night. And we're also vulnerable to things that can hunt us and attack us. So uh, at some point, we developed the behavior of finding somewhere safe and going to sleep in order to save our resources. The night shifts, like waking up during the night was definitely quite a bit harder than waking up during the day. The problem was that we were not shifting the the day. We had to be on all the time throughout the entire day. So that was a different level of challenge. The lack of light made it easier for us to feel sleepy. I think we would just use all these mental tricks to stay up, whether it was snacking, whether it was the entertainment. There was a dial in the front of the boat that measured like the speed of the boat and like the angle of the boat. And so you would play these tricks on like Let's see if I can get you know up to this speed. Let's see if I can get up to that speed. Let me see if I can do this. And, and, and you just do these little mental games to keep yourself um, occupied. And while one teammate tried to keep himself entertained by the elements so as to not fall asleep on the oars, the other would be having a hard time escaping those elements just to get some sleep. We had terrible weather, right? And because of the terrible weather, 
there's really annoying sounds going on. A lot of clicking and clacking and banging and noise. The sound of a row, ocean rowing boat getting banged around the waves is not a soothing sound. Waves lapping on a beach, right? No, no, no. It's like, God, stink. And so sometimes you would actually put in your earbuds and, and try to listen to music or anything just to drown that noise, just so that you're able to go to sleep. There were also all types of alarms going off every now and then. If the boat went off its course, if the autopilot stopped working for whatever reason, or if they approached another vessel. So there's all these like beep, 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 it's, it's not, this is not like an environment that you would be looking forward to going to sleep in. Both Amars went into the race knowing that it was going to be difficult to get one good stretch of sleep. So like any serious athlete, Amar Noor believed that practice makes perfect. You understanding how you're going to feel running on 45 minutes to an hour and, and, and a half, call it, of sleep at best, that is not something that should be left for the expedition itself. That is something that you should know about how it's going to feel before that and how you cope with it. Our thinking was, if we go into this journey sleeping less and less hours. So for example, let's say a month before we start saying, instead of sleeping eight hours a day, we'll sleep seven, then six, then five, then four, then three. And we do that going into the thing versus just trying to get as much sleep, as much rest as possible, building that storage up because it's going to get depleted and depleted very fast. And maybe that's the way to do it. In the end, we decided to go with the latter option, which is basically we rested as much as we could before. We got as much sleep as we could, hoping that we would have some store. I mean, we tried to look at it as if we have like a sleep bank and you're quickly like chipping away at it and we could try to keep it at 100% going into the race as much as we could. Dr. Stanley had another take on the idea of a sleep bank. You can't bank sleep if you're going to have a long day tomorrow. You can't go to bed early tonight because we're creatures of habit and, and, and rhythm and routine. So if you go, do go to bed you know, really early, then you're just going to lie in bed awake, not being able to fall asleep because it's not your time to fall asleep. We can catch up on some sleep, but not an awful lot. So... If we miss one night's sleep, we'll make up all of the missing deep sleep. But if we have two nights or three nights without sleep, then we can't have more than 100% deep sleep. So we can make up the hours, but we're not making up the benefit of the sleep that we've missed. So we can lie in bed for as long as we want, but we're not getting a return of the benefit that we would have. We need to get sleep every night of sufficient quality. That's the only way of doing it. Sleep is about what we call homeostasis, a very posh word for balance, keeping everything in harmony. If you mess up that harmony, then numerous consequences, and as a hormones which are run very strictly by a clock. If that clock changes because of sleep deprivation, then there will be numerous changes in the body and in the brain, which leads to all the negative consequences that we've discussed earlier. A lot of people um, favor training over sleep 
favor working over sleep, favor exercising over sleep to achieve certain goals and certain objectives. But I would I would argue and encourage people to think about it differently and think about like what they can achieve actually if they sleep more. And I would definitely, if I had to meet my younger self who's having all this conversation about, you know, we sleep a third of our life and maybe we should try and sleep less and so on, I would, you know, have a like a serious talk uh, with him and I would have... If I had to go back, I would definitely have spent more nights getting a, a good sleep. I think the, the, the most interesting thing about sleep is that it hasn't changed. We sleep the way we've always slept. We sleep the way uh, that our ancestors slept and that mammals sleep. And however much you want not to have to do it and you think it's a waste of time or there are better things that you could be doing instead of sleeping. Sleep has persisted. It hasn't changed in millions of years. So enjoy it. Don't fight it. Don't see it as an enemy. Don't see it as a waste of time. You've got to do it. So you might as well enjoy it and see it as a luxury and a pleasure and a, a, a lovely break between the stresses and strains of one day to the next. Next, on State of Mind, we get a little more intimate. Omar and Omar reflect on their relationship and what partnership means when you have to depend on each other for survival. We would always have like an interesting dynamic where we would meet and laugh and have a good time and so on. But it wasn't then clear to me that, you know, this person that I meet every now and then when I, when I go to Dubai would be the, uh, a person that uh, would become like a brother of mine. This episode was produced by me, Lubna Munib, and edited by Hebel Sharif with support from Dina Sabri. Research and fact-checking by Dina Sabri and sound design by Yusuf Duazou. State of Mind is a production of Kerning Cultures Network. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Episodes drop every week. And before you leave the app, please leave us a review. It makes our show more discoverable and we read every single one. Promise. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.